0: that for him I don't know if he knew this but Hebrews is my favorite book and I would just love to say a few words but I'm going to shut up (laughs) let's pray Lord Jesus we want to thank you and praise you for preserving your word for us Mm -hmm. and giving us a picture of what faith really is Mm -hmm. Lord I pray that you would just give Clint courage and direction as he speaks to us on something that is unseen. Mm-hmm. Lord, help us to understand what faith is, that it can replace fear. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, speak to us. Open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tim. So, yes, I hope you have your, your Bibles open to uh, Hebrews 11. It's uh, great to... Uh, See God's words um, as your pastor is preaching God's words because it's really God's words that are the, the, the words that are going to be transformative um, in your life. You need to see them. Well, Let me begin by saying that uh, every Christian's testimony is amazing. Everyone. Uh, if you have come to believe uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are and you are following him this morning uh, by faith. Uh, no matter what your story is of how that came to be, it is a miracle. God Almighty gave you new life. You're born again. That that is a is a miracle. It is an amazing reality. Even if your story. Is that you have, well, you know, grown up following Jesus and believing in him since you were little, raised in a, in a Bible believing home. And uh, we, we probably have all heard other conversion stories of how the Lord you know, turns someone's uh, life around from uh, uh, destructive behavior to a life of faithfully serving the Lord. Just this past week, I met with a man who is now following Christ who had been deeply involved in the occult for 30 years. We rejoiced together that Christ is the one who's able to bind the strong man, Satan, and to plunder his house, for he's experienced that. But there aren't many conversion stories quite as dramatic as that of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's story is quite a significant story and God wants us to know about his story and to consider it because the story is actually told three different times in the book of Acts. It's told in Acts 9, it's then retold by Paul in Acts 22, and then again retold by Paul in Acts 26. So Paul was a, was a very religious Pharisee who hated Jesus. And he hated the disciples of Jesus and, and was doing his best to destroy the Christian church, and to stop the spread of the gospel. He was involved in the killing of Christians, and at the time of his conversion was on his way to arrest and put into prison any Jew who confessed allegiance to Jesus in the city of Damascus. But on the way there, Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Jesus knocked him off of his horse. Jesus blinded him. And told him that from now on, Paul belonged to him. And that Paul would be the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul eventually began to do that very thing and and had an amazing life of preaching the gospel, uh, of planting churches, and then teaching them from afar through his letters, which we have preserved here in the New Testament. Near the very end of his life, this great Christian and leader in the church, wrote a letter to a disciple of his, a pastor named Timothy. And in this letter, he described his experience of the Christian life in this way. So this is 2 Timothy, chapter 4, and uh, verses 7 through 9. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth There is now laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, as we hear what Paul says here, to him the Christian life was a fight. A fight that he fought daily. It was a fight to keep the faith. Paul was both confident. And thankful that the Lord had helped him to fight the fight for faith and to finish it. And are also given a clear and helpful insight on what helped him to persevere in, in fighting the fight for faith. That's in verse 8 here. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what helped Paul to continue to persevere and fight for faith through all of his great trials, which included beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, being slandered, and finally being killed for his faith? Was his hope in the reward which God promised to those who endure in their faith in Christ. That was what helped him to persevere and to fight the fight for faith. Paul was was looking ahead to something that he couldn't see. It was something that he and all believers are promised by God. And for Paul... Fighting the fight of faith was just continuing to take God at his word, to continue to hope in God's promise that that suffering in this life for him will be more than worth it. That there will be a great reward, far better than we could ever dream. And the reward is, of course, forever being in the presence of the Lord Jesus without sin, without suffering, without conflict, without death. For as Paul described, it is for all of those who have loved his appearing. Who have loved the appearance of Christ. we are looking forward to the Lord's appearing. Christ is that reward. But there are many challenges to holding on to God's promises. And that is why Paul described it as a fight. And so in the next two weeks, we are going to consider this fight By hearing God's word from two passages in the book of Hebrews, we will think together about how to fight for faith. How to persevere in the faith so that we too can join Paul in receiving the reward that God has promised to all who finish the race. So our main theme for uh, the first seven verses of Hebrews 11 that uh, Tim read for us is this, that understanding what saving faith looks like and why it is essential will help us to persevere in fighting for it. Now, what I'm doing today is jumping right in the middle of a bunch of a, a much longer uh, teaching here in the book of Hebrews. Um, there is a, a lot that has come before our passage and a lot that comes after. And so I would encourage you uh, this afternoon or this week sometime to at least to read through uh, chapter 10 verse 19 and then read through to the end of chapter 12. That's kind of the, 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 the main part of this section that we're looking into, and it will greatly help you to understand what's really going on in our passage here um, in, in Hebrews 11:1 1 through 7. And so as we approach this, this passage, uh, we're going to do something a little different. That is, uh, we are going to um, approach it with some questions about our need to understand biblical faith and how to fight for it. So what biblical faith is and then how we are to fight for that biblical faith. We we will find out what what God's word here says to us um, in answer to our our question. So our first question, kind of an overall big question, what is biblical faith? What is biblical faith? You know, We often make the mistake of of just assuming that people understand what, what we are talking about, especially when it comes to Bible words like faith. But the author of Hebrews doesn't assume that his readers know what he means by faith. He he doesn't make that that assumption. So I wanted uh, to begin by making sure that we all understand what the Bible means by the concept of of faith. In this series, we are are focused on fighting for faith, so it is wise to make sure we are all on the same page as to what faith is according to the Bible. So how is faith described for us here in these verses? Well, verse 1 Seems to give us a definition, yet it's not a full definition of what biblical faith is. Uh, this whole passage will reveal to us a more complete de- definition as we seek the answers to uh, the questions that I put um, uh, under this first one, what is biblical faith? We're also going to look at what does faith look to, who does faith depend upon, and what does faith do. But first, verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, the word for assurance here could be translated in a more objective way, which is how the King James Version has translated it. If you have that version, it it, it translates it as substance. It's the substance, the foundation. Um, But more likely, it's translated subjectively, like how the ESV has it. I think most modern translations has it as this, this, this assurance this, 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 this confidence of things hoped for because that matches up then with what we see in the rest of the verse. The conviction of things not seen. What are the things hoped for here? Well, go back to chapter 10 and look at verse 35. So this is the last few verses of, of chapter 10. And what we read here will give us some help as to what the author of Hebrews is really getting at. Therefore, this is verse 35, chapter 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So that matches up with assurance. Okay? For you, verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and now he quotes from the prophet Habakkuk, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. So back at verse 25, you know, what are the things hoped for? Well, verse 25 tells us this, this confidence in receiving a great reward and you look down you see that it is the coming of christ that gives us this reward of eternal life verse 37 yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay so it points to this coming one and the the new testament clearly reveals to us who this coming one is it is the lord jesus christ so so faith looks to him although to us he's unseen Faith looks to him as being the one whom God sent to save his people, to redeem all those who put their hope in him. And Christ did so on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection. Although, of course, that is something that's, again, wasn't seen by all believers living in this time that this book was written. hasn't been seen by any believers who live today. So faith also looks to the same coming one to come again, to judge the living and the dead, to usher in the day of the Lord, the day of, of, of the divine judgment, that, 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 that's also something that is unseen to us, isn't it? But these are all things that God has revealed to us in his word. Therefore, as one scholar put it, he said, faith consists of persistent hope in the promises of God. Faith consists of persistent hope in the promises of God. Faith trusts in God's promises as well as in God's warnings and then adjusts our lives accordingly to what God's promises say and what his warnings say. That's biblical faith. Well, let's learn more about it. What, what, what does faith look to? Well, what do we see here in these seven verses uh, in Hebrews 11? Where does the apostle look to to show us what biblical faith is? Look to the next verse, verse 2 and then verse 3. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he's basically saying here, you want to learn about faith? Go to the Bible, go to the scriptures. Look to the Word of God, and at the very beginning of the Bible, that's where he starts, at the very beginning, God reveals to us how the universe was created. Again, no human being was alive when God created the heavens and the earth. It was completely unseen. But faith, again, is the conviction of things unseen. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Then verse 9 says, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So faith believes God did it in that way, that he spoke, and the universe came to be. Because that's what God's word tells us at the beginning of the Bible. And faith trusts what God's word says. But faith is also the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. Today marks the end of a small talk with one another on Sundays, which doesn't focus on how the Huskers played the day before. It's the last Sunday. It's the last Sunday from now on for the next three months or more. The Huskers will be talked about every Sunday at churches throughout Nebraska. I'm trying to enjoy it while I can. (laughs) This week is the official start of uh, football season for the Huskers. Now, um, what are Husker football fans looking to? Well, it's a similar thing to what biblical faith looks to or looks toward. Husker fans are not simply looking to the game next Saturday. You're not just looking to the start of the Big Ten season, no, no, no. Husker fans are looking to the end of the season, and they're hoping for a return to the Big Ten championship game. And I've heard that some have even reserved hotel rooms and flights to Indianapolis in December. <laughs> they're they're pretty confident that that's what's going to be happening. But that's what that's what we do. We hope for greatness for our team, and that means we're looking toward the end and figuring out how we're going to get there. What's what is it going to take for us to get, to get there? We're looking forward to that. And biblical faith is similar in that Christians are looking forward to what God has promised for those who trust in him. We are looking forward to the unseen of what is to come for God's people. We are hoping in that. And that is what helps us to endure the trials, to endure the struggles that we have in our lives. I mean, just, just think about how much more you would enjoy watching the games or going to a Husker football game if you already knew that at the end of the season, well, they're not only going to win the Big Ten championship, but they're going to win the national championship. I mean, think about it. There would be no anxiety at all over the close games that you're going to see them play. You wouldn't be concerned at all if, uh, you know, if they lost one or two games uh, early in the season. You, you wouldn't be stressed out watching any game this season because you already knew, you already were assured that they're going to be champions at the end of the year. Well, the Lord has told us that his kingdom is coming. Look at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He has promised us that one day he will reign on the earth and he will completely do away with everything that is wrong with this world. He will make all things well again. And if we believe that he has saved us from sin through his work on the cross, then we will be able to experience his coming kingdom as one of his people. In the end, there will be one king who reigns over all the earth and there will be no competitors to him and no one will be able to overthrow Jesus. They will all be forever defeated and that king is the one that we have put our faith in. Faith looks to the fulfillment of all of his promises of the coming kingdom, of the great reward for all believers. Who now does faith depend upon? Who does faith depend upon? Well, in the past month or so, you may have heard about uh, two somewhat popular Christian leaders uh, who uh, posted on their social media channels that they have now left the Christian faith. I've heard some of you, some of you talk about, about that. Uh, one uh, was a worship leader for the popular uh, Hillsong worship band, and I think he wrote one of their more famous songs. Uh, I, I didn't know who he was, um, but heard about him, and The other one, though, I I did know, and he was a pastor and an author who had written many books. Uh, He had been the pastor of a a fairly large church in Baltimore uh, for several years, Uh, was a guy that really seemed to me, as I listened to him teach and read his stuff, he really seemed to me to be a humble and faithful Christian leader. But now he seems to have strayed far away from the faith. He has separated from his wife, which has never a good sign. He has recanted many of what, um, uh, most of what he used to uh, teach, and he claims to have fallen away from the faith. And this has been very, very troubling for many people who looked up to these Christian leaders. Well, if our faith depended upon pastors or well-known authors or other famous Christians, then our faith definitely wouldn't last. Your faith can't depend upon people because people are just fellow sinners. They will fail you. Pastors will fail you. Your closest Christian friends may fail you. If our faith is to be sound, if we are to have this assurance of the rewards that God has told us will come and the conviction that what God has said about the future will indeed happen, then we cannot depend upon the person who first told us about these things or the person who we love to listen to to teach or to preach or sing and young people here young people you must not even have your faith depend upon your parents for they will end up disappointing you as well they may not be leading you in the ways of god's holy word Rather, saving faith depends upon the author of our salvation. Hebrews 12, verse 2, which is a passage that we're going to look at next week. But Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. Faith looks to Jesus. Faith depends upon Jesus. Why? Because he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who has promised these things will take place and he has promised that he will do them and all others may fail us, but Jesus will never fail us. Our faith must depend upon Jesus that he will fulfill his word. We look to him. Next question, what does faith do? What does faith do? Look down to verse 7 for the answer to this question. What does faith do? Well, verse 7 talks about Noah. What did Noah do by faith? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah, by God's grace, received a warning from the Lord that the world was about to be judged. It would be destroyed by a great flood. The Lord even gave him specific instructions about the only way to be saved from the flood, from the coming judgment. And so what did Noah do with that? What did Noah do? Noah believed the Lord's word. And because he believed the Lord's word, he obeyed the Lord's word. Faith doesn't just believe the Lord's word. Faith obeys the Lord's word. Faith does what the Lord says. Noah believed that some amazing event, this, this worldwide flood, which at the time he could not see, and probably had a very difficult time even imagining. But he believed that this amazing event would indeed take place because God said it would. And so in faith, Noah began to to prepare for it as if it would take place in exactly the way God said it would. That is faith. Brothers and sisters, living our lives in the confidence and in in the assurance that what God's word says Is true, that is what faith is. That is, that uh, God's word really is a reality. Even when almost everything that we see and experience in this life is telling us something different. But holding on to that faith, believing that it is true, that it is reality, that it will happen just as God said it would, and then adjusting our lives according to His word, obeying His word, that is biblical faith. Now, why is faith essential? Well, this passage shows us that faith isn't just something that's nice to have. You know, it's not just something that's just nice to have. Faith isn't like Cool Whip. Now, believe me, Cool Whip is wonderful. Cool Whip is wonderful. I'm a big fan of Cool Whip. Just ask my family. I enjoy it so much as a topping on strawberries and raspberries and cake and especially instant pudding. I enjoy it so much that my wife always apologizes to me if she serves one of those d- desserts and then realizes that we're out of co-op. Oh, I'm sorry, babe. We're out of cool But But don't tell Greta this. But strawberries and raspberries and instant pudding still taste pretty good. Without co op <laughs> is just something that is nice to have. When we have those desserts, it really isn't essential to have. Sometimes we treat faith in a similar way. You know, someone may be a, a really good person. She might be kind. She might be loyal to her friends and family. She might really, you know, say good things. And we think, well, surely, surely the Lord must be pleased with her. Or how about the guy who goes to church every week? He gives to the offering. He was baptized and confirmed in the church. He and his wife are still together after many, many years. Surely the Lord will welcome him into his kingdom. I mean, wouldn't he? Well, as we look over this passage, there are two words that are repeated more than any others. The first, of course, is faith. Faith is repeated eight times in this passage. The second repeated word has a direct relationship with faith, and it is commended, or a form of commended. Repeated five times. The one who is doing the commending is God. And he is only commending those who have faith in his word. Look at verse 2. By it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And in verse four, Abel, who was the the, the son of Adam and Eve, says he was commended as righteous by God for his faith, which he displayed uh, through his gifts that he gave to God, the sacrifice of, of the finest sheep of his flocks. And then we have Enoch. Enoch was also commended as having pleased God. Well, what did Enoch do to receive God's commendation. Why was God so pleased with him? Again, the text says it was by faith. It was his assurance and confidence that God promised, that what God promised would come true. It would come to be. Enoch had a persistent hope in the promises of God. And and that is what God commends. That is what pleases God. For that is what glorifies God. It glorifies him in the world when his people believe that what he has said is true. That he rewards those who seek him. And verse 6 is really our key verse and the clearest answer for us. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible. Take that word in. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is essential for us to please God. Biblical faith, like what is being described in these verses, is essential if we would draw near to God. Not just believe that a God exists, but having the firm conviction that the God who is revealed to us in the Bible exists, that he is real the God that has promised to reward those who seek him through Jesus Christ. He is a reality. We must deal with that God, and it's best to believe in his promises. We must have righteousness before him if we are to be in his presence, if we are to be led into his kingdom. And as verse 6 and verse 7 tell us, we will only become the air of righteousness we will only receive righteousness if we have and hang on to biblical faith faith is not just something that's nice to have it's something which is essential for salvation you are not a christian if you do not have faith in god's word and in god's savior so do you have biblical faith it is essential Lastly, how do we fight for faith? Let's consider some of the challenges that are before us to hold on to faith in God's word from this passage. From verse 1, we are called to believe in something that is completely unseen to us. That's a challenge, isn't it? Having a conviction that something that is completely unseen will happen or has happened. Maybe you've had someone tell you, you know, well, if God would just give me a clear sign that he exists, then I would believe. You know, if I can see it, then I'll believe it. But that's not what what, what we are given. We are given his word. And it is the Holy Spirit, whom we cannot see, who confirms that this really is the word of God to us in our hearts. God's word tells us Christ is king, that he is on the throne at God's right hand but, but we look around this world and from what we see it sure doesn't look like he's king. It sure doesn't appear to us that he is the one who has all, all sovereign authority over heaven and earth that all things are under his sovereign power. It doesn't look like that to us as we look around us from what we can see. So faith is a challenge calling us to believe in what is unseen. And, and in this day, it is also challenging for us to have faith that all things were created by God, as, as verse 3 makes clear. That is a conviction that is mocked today by virtually all the leaders in education. In fact, any belief in God is mocked and scoffed at in academia, as well as in the national media. So we are kind of like Noah, living in a time where it seems most people are ignoring God's word and scorn those who warn that one day God is going to come to judge the living and the the dead according to what they have done, whether it was good or evil. It is a challenging time to hang on to biblical faith. We must fight for faith to continue to obey the Lord. We must fight for faith to continue to live to please the Lord. But how do we do that? Well, it seems from this passage that we must continue to remind ourselves of and to meditate on the promises of God for his people, as well as the warnings of judgment that God's word also provides us. If faith is is being assured that what God's word says is true and it is looking to what God's word has promised for those who are in him, then we must keep his words close to our hearts. We must have his words on our minds running through our minds, considering them, thinking about them, thinking about how they apply to what we see in the world. We must have his words close to us. We must look to him for help in understanding his words. So so that means praying for insight, praying for the illumination of the Spirit, um, in, in enlightening our hearts to recognize what he says is true, to, to believing it. And praying for faith, to be assured that his words are true, even when we can't see. How often are you thinking about and considering God's word? How quickly are you able to bring up a promise, a promise of God, when your faith is challenged? What can you do to help yourself to have a promise quickly at hand when you need it? You know, we are like most evangelical churches in that we strongly encourage and and even reward our children for memorizing verses in Good News Club and in Sunday School. We want them to know God's Word. We want them to have God's Word on their hearts. But do we as adults do that very thing that we tell our kids to do? Do we expect of ourselves what we expect of our kids? When maybe... We need God's promises even more than they do? Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin to memorize and meditate on some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. They are, they are known as, as fighter verses. Fighter verses because memorizing these verses will help us to fight the fight for faith. We will do them together. I'll give you some more information about that next week. But our goal is that all of us will be able to say with the Apostle Paul at the end of our lives, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, as we uh, consider these words from Hebrews 11, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to do a work in our hearts that the seed of your word that has been cast out would bear fruit in our hearts, in our lives, that we would look to you, that we would depend upon you, Lord, that you would help us to fight the fight for faith. We ask this in the name of the sovereign ruler over all things, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.